Who do you want to be as a leader? What are the blind spots you're missing? If you had a magic wand and you could change anything about your workplace, what would you do with it? These are the kinds of questions we explore on Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt. I'm a keynote speaker, emotional intelligence coach, and leadership trainer who partners with executives and emerging leaders who want to achieve extraordinary results for themselves and their organizations. You're in the right place if you're ready to cultivate the self-awareness to be the leader you were born to be. Let's go on this journey together. Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt, and I'm super pumped and excited for a wonderful conversation today. I'm going to be speaking with Azif Sadiq, who is the Senior Vice President at Warner Media for Equity and Inclusion International. He has been credited with impactful global diversity, equity, and inclusion activities and programs across organizations that have created a strong sense of belonging for all and resulted in truly diverse workplaces. Welcome to the show, Azif. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So Asif, as a starting point, I always like to give my guests an opportunity to share a little bit about your story and how did you get to the work that you're doing right now? Wow. Um, so my story probably goes back, way back, um, you know, about 20 odd years um, after I graduated from, uh, from university or college. Um, actually did a, did, a, did a degree in management and human resource management, wanted to become a consultant at the time. Um, unfortunately, due to numerous challenges, barriers, it wasn't one of the, the posher universities that I went to. Um, I couldn't, couldn't get any, any sort of, uh, you know, uh, graduate uh, jobs. So I ended up joining the police service um, because the police were recruiting. Uh, I had also found during my, my time in policing, uh, sorry, in, in university, we used to get stopped by the police quite often. There's a lot of stereotypes that existed around um, you know, people like me, what we'd be doing if we were standing outside the university building and, and so on. So I joined the police uh, as a police officer, uh, where I eventually did go on to head up the Equality, Diversity, and Human Rights Department within the police. But that's where it started from, where I joined the police, saw a lot of inequalities. Um, not all, I, I wouldn't, and you know, a lot of people ask me this question around, um, you know, was the police racist? Some people maybe, generally it was ignorance, not knowing enough, wanting to do the right thing, but it comes out the wrong way. So, you know, all the things we face today in everyday business and, and society, but uh, that started making me think, either I sit back and just, you know, see a lot of these things happening, or I use, you know, the knowledge experience I have to try to educate better the working environment. And so, yeah, so that's where it started. And then uh, subsequently, you know, I've, I've gone on to work for, for many companies, including a consultancy company, which was interesting because it was like, oh, when I graduated, you didn't want me. <laughs> Ten years later, you now want me to join. It's funny how that happens. And the fact that it's not linear, right? It zigs and it zags. Like, that's so interesting to see where it came from. And um, so definitely I'm hearing through your experience, you saw that there was opportunities. There's lots of opportunity for change to be happening. And when you start to think about inclusion, and I just, I really, I love that your TED talk, I love the way you talk about this on LinkedIn and have really open conversations. And when you think about inclusion, I, you know, I talk a lot about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And I, I love that you do that too, because ultimately it's around that piece of belonging. 
Where do you think sometimes organizations get it wrong when they're talking about what it looks like to create an inclusive workplace? Yeah, so, so I think there's a number of factors that can impact that. Number one, um, companies tend to turn to the textbook solutions, right? So, so what is it? What has other companies done? What have, what have our competitors done in this space? Um, the problem is no two companies are the same, even the ones in the same industry. Every company's culture is unique to them. Their working environment's unique to them. Um, and that's, that's the big piece, right? So it's, it's how do companies look inwards and what's going to make a difference to a, for their working environment? What's going to create that truly inclusive workplace? Um, the second big challenge, I think, is <clears throat> many companies have a tendency to try to outsource their problems. Um, and of course, th there is times and elements you need support within this space, um, but you have to work with the support. You cannot expect someone to come in and magically fix your inclusion challenges. Yes, they can provide you with guidance. Yes, they can direct you in the right direction, but they need you to truly believe in it and embed it. And the final challenge, I think, uh, is probably where the conversations around diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging um, end up being about certain people or certain groups. And what we forget is that every single person brings something different to the table. Every single person has elements of diversity, intersectionality, all those you know, uh, different, different, different things that we talk about. Therefore, if it's something that the company truly believes in, it's something that we need everyone to understand, everyone to be part of not just, you know, let's put the women in a room and tell them how great they are and we need more of them and, but we don't tell anyone else. If we truly believe it, let's tell every single person in the company so that everyone understands that it benefits all of us if there's more success, more gender equity and so on. And that example can be taken for any other area, of course, of, of diversity. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think you you talked a lot about this in terms of culture too, where people think, okay, well, we're just going to bring different people from diverse groups, and then change will just happen. It's going to become a more diverse organization. And so something that shows up for me, and, and I love you also talked about this isn't just from the top down, this is around peers, and there's lots of different ways this this can be happening. So somebody's listening to this conversation because I'm such a big believer and we want to empower the individual, right? It's the organization. We want them to be taking, um, taking, taking steps and, and actions, but we also want the individual. So somebody right now is listening and they're saying, I want to contribute and be somebody that creates more an environment of belonging. What can I do? Yeah. And I think that I is probably one of the most uh, important elements, right? What can each individual do? It's not, you know, people like me who are going to drive change in an organization. We can just provide the tools that others need uh, and they need to drive change. I mean, I can talk about diversity all day long uh, and, and, you know, yes, it's me talking about it and people will, will, will probably agree with certain elements, but that can't drive change in a business. Everyone needs to find their personal sort of why, how, and what, and then drive it from that perspective. Um, but to really do it, there's a few things, right? There, again, there isn't a magic formula. Uh, I think what's really important is that we have or we create psychological safety to have difficult conversations. Um, we listen without preconceived ideas and judgment. And, and what do I mean by that? We talk about the fact that we want to learn, right? We want to learn about diversity. We want to learn about difference. We want to create inclusive workplaces. But yet we, we have assumptions on what that looks like. We have dominant cultures. Uh, recently, I was speaking to someone and they were like, you know, I've got an international global team um, and we've got some challenges with different people in, in certain parts of the world where they're quiet or, you know, they don't do this. And I'm like, what makes you think your way is the right? 
they, culturally what they believe and their way, their, their way might be right. We're not a dominant culture in the Western world. And they're like, well, actually, that's, that's true. And I'm like, that's the problem. You're going in saying you want to create inclusion, but you're going in with a preconceived idea of what that should look like or what it should mean for someone else based on your own values, your own upbringing, your own sort of experiences. So we need to be open to listening. We need to have difficult conversations. Um, and, and the other big thing um, which a lot of people get wrong is diversity inclusion doesn't mean that we have to agree. I mean, we could disagree on something. That's the beauty of diversity that we think differently. But how do we then come together to produce exceptional results in what we do with, with our differences or with our different opinions because we're working towards a common goal or objective? Um, but I do think it's those honest conversations, it's, it's exploring difference, um, and it's being ready to listen without pre preconceived judgment on, on what the outcome should be or what, what, what we, we should expect. Um, and and, and just, just my final point on that, um, even with good intention, we can get it wrong when we, uh, when we make assumptions. And, and one of the ones which I hear a lot about is where certain people um, are told, and I've actually experienced this at some point uh, as well, uh, or numerous points in my life, where you know, someone will come up to me and say, oh, your English is really good. I'm like, I've got four generations of people speaking English. We were speaking English in 1875. So it's, um, you know, it would only be good. But again, it's not, the person's not intended it in a negative way. But the consequences of that preconceived stereotype or judgment is negative. What someone should or could ask is a different question. You know, maybe, maybe explore that, you know, oh, you know, I'm, I'm really interested to know, do you speak many languages or what's your heritage or, you know, like other questions that can help maybe even answer that unconscious bias that we have, but we can, we need to place it in a better way rather than this onus or responsibility only being with the individual that we, that we speak to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard a, a variety of stories and, and with what you just shared there. And you know what it's reminding me as you're sharing that, Asif, is the fact that um, I feel like emotional intelligence and self-awareness is such a big part of this because yeah. I was even thinking as you were speaking, um, you know, emotional intelligence when it comes to listening, which can be around empathy and around just literally learning how to be present and not listening to respond, listening to be really coming from a place of curiosity and wanting to understand not to be like, well, I'm listening, but I'm going to go tell you my way anyways. Exactly. It's, um, it can be uncomfortable for a lot of us, right? Because, you know, I was reading a book recently, and I love what they said that that she was talking about a therapist, Dr. Shafali out of the US and saying how um, we don't live our life, we live our patterns. And so there's all these patterns that in our operating system. So we have this automatic way of doing it and to pull ourselves out of it can be quite uncomfortable. So I, I, I do a lot of work with clients around emotional intelligence and mindfulness and presence. And it's just showing up for me very powerfully as you were talking right there, how those skills are so critical to be creating those environments where we can be having courageous conversations. 100%. 100%. And, and actually, one of the big points there, and, and you know, this is the changing nature of the landscape of leadership in the future, which is, you know, if, if you think about every single program, every single course that every single lead has been on, uh, and, and many people will know which, which courses I'm, I'm referring to, they used to talk about a leader, someone who doesn't show vulnerability, has all the answers, doesn't show any sign of weakness. The truth is, we don't connect with people like that. People like that write statements or annual reports and you're like, who is that? I've never met them. We never know them. 
we as humans from day one have connected with other humans. And if anything, this last two years in the pandemic, it's shown us that as we've learned more about each other through this remote working, you know, hybrid working, whatever it might be, we've really connected. I mean, I, I know I've seen all sorts, kids flying in the background, pets flying in the background, everything. I name it, I've seen it. But what that's done is it's humanized, humanized people, even our leaders who've been humanized. And that element is what we need to hold on to. Human-centric leadership is the future of leadership because people will connect with leaders, leaders who come into a conversation, even about diversity and say, do you know what? I, I don't have all the answers. I don't know everything, but I'm really eager to learn and listen. That's what people want to know. People don't want a leader to come in and say, I will solve all the problems around racism or sexism or homophobia or any other area. No, they want, to, want you to work with them and say, you know, these are the kind of things we're exploring. So, so I think that change uh, and, and, you know, the, the need for leaders to adapt their style for the future is going to be critical because no one's looking for those perfect leaders. Mm -mm. Well, and it's also making it, it's, I, I'm such a big believer in what your role modeling as well, right? So I'm sure you've experienced mm -hmm. this a lot where the leader will say, no, I don't expect you to look at emails in the evening. I don't expect you to work in the, on the weekend. I don't yet. They're sending emails yeah. constantly. It's like, well, you're saying one thing and I'm sure great intentions, exactly. but your behaviors are not creating trustworthiness yeah. because yeah. like, well, do you really mean that? Because I see what you're doing and it's exactly. not really reflecting that. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and that is, that is half the challenge. People will replicate behaviors they see. Um, and, you know, even when you mentioned that, I, I, you know, I can go back a couple of years and I, I used to have a, um, a leader who would say exactly that, you know, I don't expect anyone to respond to emails outside of working hours, but they would spend Sundays uh, from 12 o'clock doing emails. And what that did, someone in the team would decide to respond because they felt that they needed to. And then everyone else felt that they needed to. And before you knew it, every single one of us was doing emails on a Sunday. Um, and that was unfortunately the, the knock-on effect of one person or the leader saying something else, but then doing 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 something which which then sort of led everyone to believe that they must do the same. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, because you had so much experience, I was even looking at so over the last 20 years, you've worked in Europe, North America, Middle East, Africa, and Asia. You've really had the global experience. And um, I'm sure in those times, I, I, I'm, you were talking about this too, around the power of story. And I'm sure you've experienced so many stories of transformation, right? Where you see the leaders who believe they are almost operating like robots, and then they start to be the more human centric and, and the amazing ripple effects that that has. I'm curious, it could be where you're currently are at Warner Media or at some of your other organizations. What are some of those uh, a story or stories that show up for you around that creating that environment of diversity, equity, equity and inclusion and belonging that was coming from leaders embodying those characteristics that you were just talking about, right? Where they started to be open and seeing things differently. I'd love to hear some of those stories of transformation. Definitely, definitely. And, and, and maybe actually, um... I can give you a very sort of personal story to, to, to this as well. So, you know, when I joined uh, Warner Media, I still remember the first leadership meeting that I attended with, with other sort of uh, SVPs uh, globally. And I, I, I did what I would usually do with any, any meeting like that in any other company that I worked for, which is think about, so what are the kind of things I'm going to say? You know, how am I going to introduce myself? Um, you know, am I going to talk about the fact that, you know, 
Um, I, I'm always, am I going to align to the things that I think they do? So do they play golf? Do they do this? What football team do they support? So I can be ready for that. And all that kind of thought process went through my head. And then I joined this, um, this meeting. And the first thing I saw was a lot of visible diversity, right? So it's a lot of people from different backgrounds. And then um, as people introduced themselves to me, they couldn't have been more different from each other, like with different interests, different things. And then it came to my, my, my turn to, to introduce myself. And then I thought, actually, let me be me for once. And let me just say what it, what, who I am, rather than try to fit in or try to say the things which I think they want to hear. Um, number one, it was very liberating for me because really and truly, you know, it's very hard trying to be someone you're not. Uh, secondly, it was really nice to, to be able or feel comfortable enough to, to, to give a different perspective and not feel like you're going to be judged, challenged or perceived in a negative way. Um, and that environment was only created by the fact that everyone else was ready to do the same thing. Um, so I mentioned to them uh, that I'm neurodiverse. Um, which I would not in a million years have mentioned in any other company previously because, you know, it could be seen as a sign of weakness. Uh, similarly, you know, things like, you know, kids or, you know, having kids and things like that, where sometimes I know many years ago I've worked in companies where, you know, it, it can be perceived as, oh, they're not going to be that dedicated. They're not going to be able to do this. So it was just liberating. But what it made me realize is when one person opens up, when one person, so when I had the first person on that meeting introducing themselves, authentically, it caused that ripple effect where everyone else felt that they could do that. Um, so, so that's my biggest learning, and that's where I've seen the biggest impact when people are ready to do that. And also the acknowledgement that, you know, certain things um, continue on. And, and, and I say this even to some of, I, I've just had a number of new staff members join my team this week. And I was telling one of them that if you feel imposter syndrome, it's normal, all of us do. You know, if at times you'll feel like, oh my God, I, I don't, belong here or because I don't fit in, I'm like all of us do. It's how you manage that and how you talk. And I'm like, I'm here to speak, to, to listen and you know, hear you out. But just remember that the same step you're taking, even the CEO of the company joined at some point. He went through the same feelings. He went through the same processes. So you're not alone and you're going through the same thing that everyone has. So, so I guess those things have made a big difference. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think it's, it's so powerful. I mean, first of all, there's two things, threads there. Um, I want to talk about the imposter syndrome one, but to stay on the one that you're talking about, you know, I've even where I've been talking with leaders where they're in a meeting and they feel like they have to be the one who's strong and everything's going okay. And those moments, and I'm not saying every meeting, I get it. If every meeting you say, oh my God, I can't handle things. I don't want, well, then people are going to start to be like a little bit scared of what's going on of here. Course. But those moments where it's just an authentic, having a tough time, you know, maybe there was loss or whatever it may be and sharing in that meeting. And I can think of a client that that happened and, and she shared that, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious about everyone's go, how everyone's doing. Cause I want to let you know how I'm doing today and teared up a little bit in that meeting. And others shared as well. And the, the sense of connection that showed up in that meeting, I'm even getting goosebumps right now, as I talk about it, not even being in the meeting to me, that's what it's all about. Right. And we know what this looks like. It's not because I hear some leaders who start to resist when we talk about that, the vulnerability piece that, 
okay, so not to always do that. No, you're going to be discerning. It's not in every single meeting, but it's those times and those moments where you showing up openly like that lets everybody else know that you're human, just like them, that you suffer and you have setbacks and you have difficult days. It just creates this amazing connection with everybody else in that room. 100%. 100%. And, and in fact, that just reminded me of, uh, we had one of our leaders recently um, on, on one of our calls to our, uh, it, was, it was for National Inclusion Week, and there was a number of staff on the call, and, and, and she she opened up and said, you know, the pressure a couple of months got to her, and she, she just broke down and cried. And for a leader to do that, you know, initially everyone was like, wow, okay. But the positive comments and staff saying that, you know what, she's, she, she's just made us feel like it's okay. And the impact of that and and you know it was amazing amazing and and i think that's the kind of positive impact things like that can have and she's a very strong leader she's very good at what she does it, no one saw in any weak line no one thought she's not that good in fact if anything it improved her rating you know a lot because people are like wow okay this leader is amazing so 100 agree with you yeah it's the human element right and we're and i think sometimes we've been conditioned to believe the kind of old paradigm old school way exactly. of leadership that if we're mm-hmm. somehow soft that people will see us as being weak and that's the the it's story crazy. around the vulnerability and it's counterintuitive but it's exactly the opposites of that story exactly Um, And then the other thing with what you were saying with the imposter syndrome, I I talk a lot about that with, um, with leaders as well, in that you can almost even see it at times that if that's showing up for you, there's a part of you that's telling you that you're hitting your edges and getting outside of your comfort zone, right? Because there's a part of you that's like, Ooh, this feels scary. I don't know. What are people thinking? I don't know. Okay. Well, that's because you haven't been here before and you're doing something new. You're doing something different. And I, I, I love what you said there, because I think there's almost a belief that I'm experiencing this, but nobody else over there. I'm here to tell you that every single leader that you've ever been exposed to at some point in their life, many times, have had those same questions and exactly. experiences show up for them. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you were talking about this in, in one of your posts, and I, I, I wanted to talk about this on the podcast today, which is around how women are experiencing this pandemic, because I think a lot of times working, um, working moms, um, sometimes they're in partnership, sometimes they're not single parents and all of that kind of stuff is impacting them a little bit differently. And I think it's a conversation that we need to have because I think there needs to be resources and support around this. So I'm curious around your thoughts around what can we be doing to make sure that we are supporting, um, supporting women and it feels like in some ways, some steps back have been taken during this pandemic, what shows up for you around that? Definitely. And I think it's a really important fact. I mean, statistically research is showing, for example, I I think it was one of the big consultancies who published a report a couple of months back that showed one in six women are reconsidering their, their their careers. Um, There's also, you know, more of a negative impact where, you know, um, when you take in some of the intersectionality, whereas, you know, single parents, people with disabilities and, and within, within, you know, um, uh, from a gender perspective. So it's, 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 I think it's a, it's, it's a really important area. I think what's critical though, is when we look at solutions and support, we can't go with this one size fits all sort of approach, which is unfortunately what a lot of organizations do when it comes to support and solutions. We need to really get to this point of if, for example, you know, if we're talking about return to work, 
Um, how do we ensure that we support women, but also taking into consideration their individual circumstances and needs? Uh, and this is the equity piece, right? So equity is, it's not about equality. Not everyone's the same. We can't say we're going to do this for all women and it will work perfectly and there'll be no issues. Equity means that we need to really double down on where are the unique circumstances, challenges, how do we support them? And then provide the tools for line managers, leaders, and so on to be able to provide that support because they, they are the ones who need to be interacting. It shouldn't be, we're going to refer someone somewhere for the support. It should be the line managers, but that suite of tools that they have should be you know, good enough to adapt to whatever the, the, the need is. It, it, I mean, I always use the analogy of, uh, unfortunately, I've, I've ended up doing a lot of DIY during, uh, during the lockdown, largely because if, if Canada is anything like the UK, there is no builders available anywhere. So you have to take to YouTube and self-discovery around how to fix things. <laughs> um, but one of the things I've constantly discovered during that period of doing a lot of DIY is I've never had the right tools. So I start a job and I realize this tool, I, I try hard to make that tool fit into what I need to do. And then I'm like, there must be an easier way. There must be something that's specific for this. And then I Google it and I discover there is, and I buy the tool and it reduces my time and it just does the job perfectly. I think when it comes to solutions, we need to think in the same way. We need to provide a suite of opportunity, uh, options, tools that line managers can use for when they're supporting um, women within their team who are returning to work who might face uh, certain challenges. And then that will hopefully help create a smooth transition back into work or to support them during the hybrid working, whatever it might be. But it has to be beyond that one, one solution for everyone. We have to provide numerous options. Yeah, I think it's so important in so many ways what you're saying there, not for even just that specific situation. The hybrid is a great example. Um, something that is works is so such a good fit for one person is exactly the opposite of what somebody else wants or needs. And um, it's the same way around what motivates us and understanding each individual um, in terms of adapting leadership style. One person wants lots of autonomy, somebody else prefers more guidance, right? So I think it's we have to be recognizing just as leaders are adapting to support different team members, organizations have to be also adapting to support different team members in a way that works for them. Um, this also was bringing, um, making me think about, we're talking a lot about the, the great resignation. I'm specifically um, calling it the great awakening instead of the great resignation, <laughs> um, because I think it is a great awakening for individuals where it's been a reset and they're asking themselves some very poignant questions around what they want and what matters. And um, perhaps we're recognizing they were sometimes making sacrifices that they don't want to make anymore. And I think it's mm -hmm. making the organizations having to take a step back and really ask themselves what are they doing here and what are they creating and taking some ownership and responsibility what do you see as being some opportunities with the pathway forward with this great awakening yeah i mean i i, I think i think that there's some real opportunities for organizations to press the reset button um, we cannot just continue on the path that we had always taken and what we had always done this is actually that opportunity where we set, let's start again, let's look at what we need, let's look at what the future of work is going to be like. What, what do we really need for that? And what, does that mean, for example, we need someone full-time five days a week working nine to five? What do we need, you know, someone who works part-time? Do we need someone who's a contractor, hybrid, gig economy? Like all these different elements come in. But we need to start thinking about things in that way because future talent, future staff, 
they don't want the same things, you know, someone like me wanted 20 years ago. Um, and we have to acknowledge that. We have to understand that. We cannot try to build people into what we've always done. We need to see it from their perspective. And, and this really came um, to light for me a couple of years back. I was recruiting someone uh, when I worked at one of my previous organizations. And um, it was initially going to be a contract, 12 months. And, you know, I went and did some work in the background, spoke to numerous teams and managed to change the 12 month contract into full-time employment. So I went back to this individual to say, hey, you know, we're gonna offer you the job and it's also a permanent job now. And they turned around and said to me, that's great, I don't want a permanent job. And I was like, okay. I'm like, so what, you're gonna leave in 12 months? They're like, no, but I just don't wanna feel that burden of being tied down. I want a contract and I'm very happy with the contract. Um, and it made me think that what good looks like in my head or what someone, what I would think someone would really want is not the same. Now, I would probably 20 years ago, never have worked a contract job. I would have wanted a full-time employment because that's what I needed. So that changing nature of the future workforce is, is really important. The second piece is the pandemic has made us realize a lot of things. Um, and, and I think, you know, when you talk about the great resignation and changing nature of, of the workplace, a lot, even myself, I've acknowledged that there's more to life than just work. Um, I've also spent a lot more time with my family and, and so on. And, and realize that I want some balance now. Um, and that's fine. So again, but it's about that reset button to see, okay, what's the future gonna look like? How do we build in that? Because no one, no one will go back to 100% back to the way things were. There is no normal we're trying to get back to. Normal will be what we create for the future, which will be a, a mix of all these different things that matter to people that are important. And we've also discovered actually, if, if anything, that these two years have shown us that you can still continue running businesses uh, by not having that structure that we previously had, um, which should be a wake-up call for many because I, I can still remember when people used to talk about flexible working 10 years ago. It was like, no, no, no. You, if someone's not at their desk at eight o'clock in the morning, they're not working. Even though what people did do 10 years ago is turn up to their desk at eight o'clock and then spend the next two hours on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, and and... But it was still this perception that someone's present, presenteeism, they're working. So we, we need to change the outlook of how we view things if we're truly going to um, capture and retain staff going into the future. It's it's funny. My, my husband's been going back and watching episodes of Seinfeld, and it's reminding me how um, George would park his car at like five o'clock in the morning. He would go somewhere else for the day, not at his job, and then come <laughs> pick it up later on at 10 o'clock. Exactly. Like George is the best employee ever. Perception <laughs> of the car getting right. there really early, leaving there late. That doesn't necessarily translate to productivity. Um, and to be honest, it's not healthy. Like our bodies are not designed no. to run in that way. We need to have sprints okay. and actually have lots of time for rest. So um, that was making me laugh as you were saying that. You 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 told me even before we had the podcast that you're comfortable sharing vulnerably. So I know this question will be will be easier for you. Um, sure. I always like to give my guests an opportunity. You, you know, you're a leader. You're a work in progress. And so what are you noticing is showing up for you? Perhaps something was a recent lesson that you learned uh, around who you are as a leader and opportunities for growth or even aspirationally as you continue to evolve into all of your leadership capabilities. Where do you see as an opportunity for growth? So it can be in the past, something you learned or something um, aspirational in the future. Definitely. Um, I, I, I think um, some of the big things I learned is probably the, the piece that I mentioned to you a bit earlier, which was um, the importance of being your authentic self. 
Uh, you can't put a price on it. And, and you know, I say that because, and I, I thought, by the way, I was my authentic self for many years, but I wasn't. Um, the true discovery came for me in my current job, my current role where I feel liberated. Now, of course, you could argue I'm that senior that I can be whoever I want and it, it, it's, it's, it's fine. Um, but, you know, regardless of that fact, it's liberating. And when I reflect on the last 20 years, some of those were very tough because I was always thinking of what, you know, how I needed to behave, what I needed to do, what I needed to fit in. And maybe if I had spent a lot of that time instead focusing on bettering myself, improving my work and so on, it, um, it would have made my life a lot easier in, in a lot of circumstances. So, so I think for me, the biggest, biggest thing or the biggest realization is you need to be yourself. You need to be your authentic self. And that, that means that you don't give up on who you are. And, and, and you know, I do that or I, you know, with my staff. Uh, you know, I, I treat them like my friends. We talk about everything um, because it's important. And I've also said to them, there's times I have to make decisions as your leader. Some decisions you might not agree with, and I'm very happy to hear your challenge. And I might still make the same decision. Um, that's where leadership comes in. And I have to, as a leader, you know, judge a lot of other things and make a decision. However, I will never just make the decision and not listen to you. I will listen to you. Um, and, and that's going to be my big thing. And, you know, even as I think of the future, it is that I'm not going to change that. That's my personality. You know, I, 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 I like speaking to people. I like to know more about them. I like to tell them more about me. Um, so, so I guess that's, that's the biggest thing I can say. And I've learned is just doing that because yeah, it's too hard trying to adapt to be, as I said, someone else, but also trying to adapt to the textbook version of what a leader should do, what a leader shouldn't do. Uh, and of course, I know there's many eminent people who've written books and universities and colleges who've done huge, huge amounts of research. A lot of that's based on averages or, or on you know, what the average person in this position would do. Remember, there's always outliers and outliers are not negative. They're people and personalities in themselves, even in, in statistical figures. So that's my view. I'd rather be myself. The leadership style is very unique to each individual. You know, two pe no two people's leadership styles should be the same because you have a personality that goes behind that leadership style. Um, everything else people know and the decisions and all things like that, people know that, it, you know, a leader will have to make. But yeah, being authentic is, for me, number one. And when I started doing that, it just made me a better person. Beautiful, beautiful. And as I hear you saying that, it feels like it's really anyone who's listening and hearing that really comes down to self-trust and confidence that you can be who you are and show up as you are and have your style and not have to emulate what somebody else's looks like. And to me, what that happens underneath that is not having to look for outside validation and people pleasing, having to be a certain way in order. And, um, and that requires some, some empowerment and self-talk that you're really paying attention to what you're saying to yourself and honoring that and being uh, kind and self-compassionate and graceful with yourself when sometimes you might do that and somebody for whatever reason doesn't like that. And that's, that's their work, not yours. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And You're as welcome. we finish off the podcast, I always like to give my guests an opportunity to leave whatever's showing up for you as a final thought. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess for me, um, the, the final thought would be just for, you know, uh, the listeners to just think about the future and, you know, that reset button, I said, I think not only as organizations, companies, we need to press that reset button, but as individuals, 
It's our opportunity to sit there, reset, and discover the new you or the true you and take that and, and, and you know, make that your own into the future. Because if anything, this pandemic has shown us um, life can be very short and, and life can change overnight as it did with the pandemic. Um, I personally have, have vowed that, you know, I will always make sure that I am me and my best me. And, you know, I press that reset button and do what's right and, and, and do the right things because, you know, that no one knows the future, but you might as well enjoy every day while you're waiting for that future. So, so such really, really wise words. Thank you. Thank you, Asif, so much for being here today. No problem. no problem at all. Thank you. And where can people learn more about you or connect with you? Where's the best place? I would say LinkedIn. Uh, I, I do post a lot of stuff on LinkedIn. So yeah, please do connect. And yeah, always happy to have any conversations and, and share your views and differing opinions. That's the beauty. I'm, I'm learning every single day. Every day is a learning opportunity. So yeah, hopefully you can learn from me and I can learn from you. Absolutely. I encourage you to follow uh, on LinkedIn because there's so many good dialogues happening there. And I agree. It's um, you're open to hearing conversations and that's where the beautiful synergy happens, where there's these really um, conscious conversations where people are listening to one another and learning. Um, Thank you again so much for being here and for everybody, wherever you are in the world. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Sending tons of love. Please remember that meaningful change requires space and grace. Practice self-compassion and become the ripple. As you transform yourself, you transform your workplace and the people around you.